When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, we love Burger King Grilled Dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to part two of Real GM Radio's NBA Finals Preview. This is Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us. The first half, if you haven't listened to it yet, has Ian Levy of Hickory High, Hardwood Proxism 538, Jack Winter of Hardwood Proxism, and Beckley Mason of Hoopspeak. And then this half has Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders and my colleague Shams Tranya of Real GM. So the first one in this conversation is with Nate Duncan, he and I talked about a lot of the, the other issues, and it's fun because we went in some different directions. We talked kind of at length about the differences in the 2-3-2 format and who the impact players are going to be and got his prediction. But it was a lot of fun. runs about 38 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, always a pleasure. So we're going to do it a little differently than the other ones, and we'll start with your prediction on what you think is going to happen in the series. Well, so I'm... My pick uh, for for the site today, I went with Spurs and seven. That's on the assumption that Tony Parker is himself, which I'm hopeful that he will be after basically a week to rest. But I mean that Spurs and seven, I think it's you know kind of 55, 45 Spurs. Miami kind of has this Rasputin-like quality where they always you know anytime you count them out they managed to come back because they look bad and then they turn up the effort and the other team's in trouble. So that's, that's kind of where I'm starting, but I think game two is really going to be the bellwether. I would expect actually that the Spurs are going to win game one in not a particularly close game because it's going to be such a huge adjustment for Miami to actually play a real offense. And then game two is going to be, the real knockdown drag out. I think if Miami wins game two, they win the series. And then obviously if the Spurs win game two, they're kind of massive favorites. Well, yeah. And that's whatever format you're in. If you could take the first two games at home, well, actually, if you could take them either way, it's such a huge advantage because then the other team has to win four out of five. And that's really hard. You know, that's even if you're a better team, that's still a lot to ask of anybody. So do you like the, them going back to, the regular format two two one one one, or did you like the two three two better? I think that the two two one 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 is more fair. You can make an argument as to whether more fair is is actually better or worse. I also think that the travel component of it, it's not affecting the players. It does affect the media members, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. The people who are lucky enough to get to cover all seven or whatever number of games, I I feel like they can tough it out and travel an extra time, but. <laughs> I think that being more fair, given the current format, I think is actually a little bit better because the fact of the matter is, since the teams play an unequal schedule wait, and wait, we so, have... So hold on, sorry. Why is it more fair, do you think? I think that the two-three-two format makes it too tough for the the lower seed or the, the team that does not have home court because their three home games are all together and it means that both of the potential clinching games, six and seven, are on the away court. I feel like those are two relatively notable advantages. 
that both go in the in the favor of the team with the better record. While obviously series can swing at a lot of moments, the idea that any series that goes more than five games will be on the home court of the same team, I think is a little bit weird. You know, I've struggled with this. I think, well, for one, I think it surprised me that they made this change because it's better for the league because I think you're going to, you get longer series out of the two, three, two. I think, you know, you're not going to have series that are going to end in five nearly as often. Now, you know, you could just get the gentleman sweep very easily in five. And when you have those three road games in the middle, that is sort of more likely to happen in six. So that's, that's one reason. The other thing though, I'm not so sure that I'm with you on that granted the two the other team is likely the road team is likely going to have to clinch on the other team's home floor and that they win it in five which is kind of difficult but they're also more likely to get to a game in which they could clinch oh, that's an interesting counter argument I, I think that that's true and there you do that but I, I just feel like having the sheer variance of having three home games in a row and basically needing to not needing to but having a huge benefit of winning all three of those is just I think it's a little bit too much to ask and given that the the difference between who has home court can be kind of arbitrary given the difference in conference strength do you feel like the two three two format do you so would you say that it's more favorable for the team with the with the lower seed or how do you see that on the aggregate yeah, you know, I think it might be just because, like I said, let's say, you know, the series sort of just goes according to plan, right? Under under the 2-2-1-1-1, you've got the home court advantage team is always going to be a step ahead. They'll be ahead 3-2 after game five. They'll still be a massive favorite if it's tied at 2-2. So if you've got the road team, if it's tied 2-2, then they can win game five, and they still have two chances in a row to close it out. Granted, it's on the road, but you have then two chances to win the series instead of one just because of the order that it's in, and that puts a lot of pressure on that home team. And then you also you get a lot of drama from that. I mean, how awesome was it going back to Miami 3-2, the team in the lead, by no means, I mean, I think that's like, pretty close to a 50-50 shot if you're up 3-2 going back, but then the other team has the home court still. So I, I love that drama. So I'm actually, you could count me as slightly disappointed that they changed the format. I can see that argument. I think that a lot of it depends on how likely it is that you think it'll go back 3-2 in favor of the team with the worst record. I just, I, I think that the other really interesting factor in it is how it changes the dynamics of the first two games, because I always was intrigued in the 2-3-2 format of what happens when the the lower seed wins one of those first two, because then they theoretically could get a closeout game on their home floor, and you get that urgency for those first two, so for what are games three and four in the series because of the possibility of that closeout, and you do lose that dynamic because they know they have game six to fall back on. You'll have to forgive me, too, for any, any listeners who have heard me say this before, but the whole they're in some other conference and that makes such a huge difference in your record or statistics. Even this year when the teams were really about as far separated from by conference as you could expect, it really only makes a difference of about one or two games max. Uh, and John Hollinger did some research on this back in his very early pro basketball prospectus days. He did some research on it. He showed really the max you're going to get is like one and a half or two wins, which makes sense because 58 of the 82 games are exactly the same over the course of the year. So in this case where the Spurs were finished the regular season eight games better than the Heat, this whole, oh, they were in the weaker conference thing, so it's not fair for them to have home court, that doesn't hold much water for me. That's a good point. And also we saw it in terms of the records of the teams involved. You know, Even though the West was the better conference, the teams at the top still had better records. So you know, they, they it may, even if they got weighed down a little bit, they their power still shone through. So that's definitely a good point, but we'll move on to, to more on-the-court stuff. I've been asking everybody who who other than LeBron, because I feel like that's just too easy of a choice, and I don't, I don't like it when it's that easy, who you think is a very likely kind of swing point for the series on either team? Well, what I would have said before those last couple games of the Oklahoma City series would be Tiago Splitter. He was going to be 
the guy that I looked at, he was someone who couldn't stay on the floor last year for the Spurs except for spot duty as a backup center because the Heat moved to starting Mike Miller and they weren't even really playing Birdman that much. And so Splitter didn't have anyone to guard and wasn't he's not really able to take advantage that well on the offensive end. And then he had trouble finishing with some of Miami's athletic wings uh, harassing him inside. This year, with no Mike Miller, Shane Battier uh, quite declined from last year. I would have thought that Splitter would be very key if he could stay on the floor in the Spurs' best defensive lineup. And Splitter is someone who's wonderful containing Dirk and LaMarcus Aldridge. I think he would be a fantastic choice to guard Chris Bosh and maybe just take him out of things completely. But then, you know, the Spurs beat Oklahoma City with very little contribution from him in those last two games. So, if he can't stay on the floor, I think that's going to be the, what they're going to try to start. But if he can't stay on the floor, I don't know that they are necessarily sunk. Yeah, it is interesting how that affected it. And also for me, granted it was one half of one game, I've been thinking for a while that I was trying to think of who was the most indispensable player for the Spurs. And I was kind of thinking that there's no way that they could win the championship without Tony Parker at 100%. And I still generally feel that way. But they played really well, honestly, even though in that second half in the last game against the Thunder. I mean, they were down seven points. They came back. They took a lot of control over it, and, you know, it was close for a stretch. But do you think they could win without Tony Parker at 100%? Oh, they could. I wouldn't put them as the favorites. I, if I could get back to your earlier question, though, about who else might be really important, I think Tim Duncan offensively would is going to be pretty huge as well. We saw especially in those last two games in Miami in 2013, that when the Heat really jacked up the pressure, they were able to shut off Danny Green. Parker was injured, but he didn't really play that well. You know, that famous Heat defensive pressure got to people. But And, and just like Oklahoma City's athleticism was able to give San Antonio some problems, the difference is, though, is the Heat really don't have anyone who can guard Tim Duncan in the post. He's someone who is not really a great option against average or better post defenders anymore, at least if they're kind of center size, but because he really struggled against Perkins and Steven Adams and even Ibaka, although he kind of made some luckier shots at the end of that game six and got a lucky foul call. But Tim Duncan can abuse Chris Bosh if they try and go with that super small lineup with Bosch at center. And then really the only guy on the Heat roster, I think, who's going to do a great job on him, Birdman doesn't quite have the heft to keep him out of the lane from getting to his jump hook. It would really have to be Haslam, and he's not really long enough to harass the jump shot, and he has killed the Heat's offense in the playoffs. So Tim Duncan is someone who, if the Spurs are in trouble, they can go to him for a bucket, which may not have been the case against some of the other teams that they have faced in these playoffs. That is an excellent point, and it is a weakness for the Heat. The other thing with Miami, and it'll be interesting because we've seen them get surprising contributions from various players throughout their their run of, I would say, the run of four finals as opposed to the two championships, just to draw that little line of separation. Mike Miller was such a big part of that in certain circumstances, and while they have a, a pretty good group of guys it'll be interesting to see if anybody can do this strange niche that he had even in just last year's finals to see if anybody can really take that spot on and if if the heat need that for a given game yeah that's a good point but on the other hand they've been killing some pretty good defenses uh just without mike miller so and maybe maybe battier will have a couple of moments still. Maybe they, maybe they can get some good minutes out of him, even though he's looked like he's pretty done compared to last year. So I don't know who it's going to be, but you're certainly right that it always seems to be someone <laughs> during this heat run with the exception of that 2011 finals. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been asking people, and you're extremely well qualified to answer this, is from last year's finals to now, do you feel like both teams have gotten better, or do you think that I, – I feel like it's hard to argue that the Spurs have gotten worse, but so I guess in what, some way you can condense it down to have the Heat gotten better, and do you think that the, the difference in improvement is substantial in terms of how you see the series shaking out? Yeah, it's a really tough call. Obviously, last year's regular season Heat team was much better 
Their defense, I think, was much better last year. Battier slowing down, I think, has hurt their defense quite a bit. So that's with him not really playing as much. His smarts and relative quickness, you know, and being able to be a part of the Heat's trapping scheme or switching when appropriate, him not being in there, I think, is, has hurt them. And it, it prevents them when they go small now with that devastating lineup with Bosch at center and LeBron at power forward to get enough shooting on the floor, they got to go real small. And before you kind of had Battier and LeBron, both of whom were bigger ish small forwards who could kind of make up the difference of there not being a power forward on the floor and Chris Bosch not being as good of a rebounder. Now, when they go with that super small lineup, You've got, you know, you, you've got Ray Allen and you've got a point guard on the, on the floor and Dwayne Wade is basically playing the three. So that's, that's a great offensive lineup still, but it may not hold up on defense as well. I think that, and also not having Miller as well, who's also, who's a very underrated rebounder and passer, not being able to have the super size at the other positions outside of center and power forward could really be a problem for that heat lineup, which is their best offensive lineup. So that's probably the biggest way I'd say that they are worse this year. Dwayne Wade obviously is in better shape this year uh, as far as his knees are concerned. And I think also he should be able to play a little bit better defense as well. He's an underrated part of their pressure defense. So I think it's probably pretty darn close to six one half dozen the other when you look at where the Heat are. The Spurs I think they're better. The only issue is I think Parker has a little bit less one-on-one to him now than he did last year, you know, and he's suffered these nagging injuries. And so that could be an issue for the Spurs. Yeah. And I, I think you you raised a lot of good points there and it's going to be, I hope so. I talked, I talked for like five consecutive minutes. <laughs> hey, that that is that is welcome. That is a wonder, that is a welcome part of it. But yeah, I I, th- I thought the Spurs played better this year, but I'm not entirely sure that the ways that they play better are particularly relevant in terms of how they'll face the Heat because the Heat are just a weird team. The thing that I've been thinking about with them is just Popovich has obviously shown his willingness to try a lot of different things out, and the lineup that I've been really intrigued by is the possibility of playing Diaw at center and Kawhi at the four just for short bits as a change of pace with the idea being, you know, just to see how the heat react to it and the idea of their attacking style, just seeing if it, if, if it would work. And the other factor that I've been thinking a lot about is how Miami is going to handle the stretches of time when LeBron sits, because there have been periods in, in the earlier rounds in the playoffs where they looked really rough without him. There have been other periods where they looked all right. You know, they, they, there were moments when they did. But I feel like how each team reacts to those minutes, as strange as it sounds considering how much of games he plays, in terms of just where, you know, where the lead starts and where the lead stops in those stretches of time could end up swinging a game or two. I got to disagree with you in that lineup. They broke it out in the fourth quarter. I think it was really the first time they did in that Oklahoma City series, the one with T.I. at center. I don't think they have enough room protection. I think they need to have one of Duncan or a splitter on the floor because otherwise it's just going to be a layup line for Miami. And Diaz is not really going to be able to take advantage offensively against Miami if he's being guarded by someone like LeBron the way he could against Oklahoma City. So that I don't like that lineup that much. I think it's, it gives up the Spurs' biggest advantage in this series, which is having a superior big man who can protect the rim. LeBron being on the bench. Yeah, I think they can mitigate that by making sure that Bosch and Wade play all the minutes and LeBron is on the bench. And then if you're going to have any time where both Bosch and Wade are out, then you... And they should be able to fix it, I think, so that pretty darn close to two of those three guys are on the floor at all times. But if you're ever going to have two of them off, then that should be LeBron's time. Yeah, and I and the other nice thing about Miami is that they do have enough shooting at the other positions that if you put almost all of the initiation in his hands, though obviously their point guards can do a little bit of that, then you have enough at those spots. You know, if you put him with Ray and you put him with 
somebody at the four or the three, however you want to define it, who can shoot, you can do that. But yeah, I think you're right in terms of the emphasis of making sure that you have Bosch and Wade out there when LeBron isn't, because I feel like that forces the Spurs not only to keep good guys on the floor, but also to make sure that the any lead that they have at those moments doesn't just kind of start evaporating. As much as I don't love the concept of momentum, I do think that it can matter enough to make some of these things actually have an effect on the outcome of the series. So do you think Miami can stop the Spurs? I think they can stop them enough. I, I think that I think that the Spurs have the challenge that every once in a while I, I don't know what it is, but I, I keep thinking back to how Manu played last time and I don't know if it's that he was hurt and he's getting better, but it's like they have this weird ability to have guys that are good just have bad series against them and I don't know if that's their skill or what the hell that is. But I feel like there's I feel like that's something that Miami does and so stopping them, I think, might be a little bit strong, but I'm not sure that they need to to win the series in six or seven. I think that Miami is a good enough team that they can, you know, put it together enough on both ends to pull out a win. I wouldn't be surprised in some ways if Miami's wins, which however many, you know, if it ends up being four wins one way, three the other way, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami's wins, however many there are, end up being much closer than San Antonio's wins. Though that obviously you're not deciding the series by total margin, but as much as Miami has that capacity to blow people out, we saw it at various points in their earlier rounds against inferior competition. I just have this feeling that they're going to win a bunch of, if they're going to win games, at least one of them, but probably two or more will be by five points or less or decided really late. And maybe it pushes up into the seven range just because it does. Miami certainly is absolutely terrifying in the clutch. There's, There's no two ways about that. And they, really, they have been, they, their numbers didn't hold up in the clutch that much over the regular season this year. Obviously, last year they were unbelievable, and, and then they carried over to the playoffs as well. But they certainly haven't lost uh, any close games in these playoffs. Oh, no, I guess, I guess game five when LeBron played like three minutes because of, because of the foul trouble against Indiana is the only close game that they've lost. So, yeah, I mean, I think you you got to be up a pretty darn good amount, as the Spurs well know, from what ended up happening in, in game uh, game six and seven last year. You, you, you better be up by a pretty good amount with five minutes to go uh, if you're going to be by And the other thing that I really like about these two teams, beyond the fact that they play beautiful basketball and they're both incredibly well coached, is that both teams are wholly capable of winning games on the road. So there isn't that whole thing of, you know, oh, well, is it going to do that? I think that Obviously, the home team has an advantage in every game just because of the structural stuff, but I I feel like each game won't be predictable in that sense. It's not going to be like some parts of that Oklahoma City series where just kind of, you know, it's just going back and forth. I feel like going into every game, unless there's some sort of health thing, each team has a very reasonable chance of winning, which to me makes the series as a whole much more exciting. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But that's almost always the case in the finals, I feel like, at least when, when, unless it's like, you know, 2001 Lakers against Sixers or something, I think you usually have a pretty good good shot for both team to win on the other sport. You have a good mind for the, for the historical context of this. I was talking about this earlier. One of the interesting things to me, the dynamics of the series, is that the Spurs seem like the better team top to bottom, but the Heat have the best singular player. And I was wondering what examples you can think of in, the last, in, the, in recent time that that, that dynamic happened. Certainly, uh, 04 Pistons over Lakers, although that Lakers team was really hurt by Carl Malone not being himself in, in that series. That would be one finals from like 98. All those Lakers finals in the early 2000s were you know, pretty obvious blowouts for the Lakers. Yeah, that's really the only one I can think of. I mean, maybe you could say, yeah, not even, even Mavericks. 2011 against the Heat. The Heat were such big favorites against the Mavericks. Yeah. What about Mavericks? What about Mavericks Heat one the one years ago? Oh uh, yeah. Well, I think most people going into that series probably would have said that Dirk was actually was supposed to be the best player in that series because he just blew up in that Western Conference Finals in 06 against the Suns. He had like 53 in a, in one of those games. So I think they would have actually said that he was the best player. It didn't actually turn out that way, but that's what I think people would have said. And, and he had also, Dirk was, was also unbelievable in 
when they upset San Antonio that year as well. And that Spurs team was maybe, you know, one of their best teams that, you know, people forget about now because the seeding was so screwed up that year before they fixed it where you had the one and the four seed playing in the semifinals of the Western Conference. And those were basically the two best teams in basketball that year. So, well, I guess I shouldn't forget about the Pistons. They won 64 games. Anyway, I, I, I digress, but yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that would be the case, but I think you got to go back to 04, really. Yeah, and so I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, and different people have said, and I, I'll get your take on it, who do you think is the second best player in this series? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, in this series, I would say because of the problems that I think Miami is going to have defending him in the post, I would, and of course his defense, I would go with Tim Duncan. I don't know that Tim Duncan is actually the second best player overall, but I think he will play the second best of anyone in this series. Yeah, and I think it, it, that definitely is the case, and I feel like the Miami has more guys that can defend Tony Parker than can defend Tim Duncan, which is interesting. We saw Duncan have some simply fabulous games against the Heat last time, and I think that, that there's nothing to indicate that anything different will happen this time. Yeah, I mean, other than him being just a year older, but the Heat or the guys guarding him are year, all a year older, too, so <laughs> it's probably a wash. Do you think that the, the finals patented long delays between games will have a benefit for one team or the other in any particular fashion? I don't think it's really... It, it's going to be that long. It's the schedule, unless I haven't looked at the schedule, but usually it's just Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday. So you have, you only have the one, the Thursday to Sunday is a two day break, but then you've only got one day for the rest of the time. So you would imagine that, no, I think it's probably about equal because, you know, Parker's probably going to be sore, but Wade is too. I think Wade, when he, one of his games where he really came out gangbusters, was the game where they had the long delay in the Miami-Indiana series. That was his best game. I think it was game three. So then I think it makes a big difference for him to get that rest uh, with his knees the way they are. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So the, uh, the just so you know, the, the way that it's going is Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, as you said, then Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday again, and then the final, the game seven would be on Friday. So there are, there, are, there are three different gaps that are an, an extra day, and then the other ones are the more normal day off between. And it's, it's also interesting because those don't line up necessarily with the travel. It's just the way that they want it for television. So there are going to be some longer stretches, including the gap between Game 1 and Game 2, where they're not changing cities at all. Yeah. All right. Well, for the gap, yeah, well, Friday night, that's when Game 7 is. That's going to Friday. Friday, if we get there, and I think we're both hoping that we will, Friday night, June 20th, would be Finals Game 7. I wonder why that is. It's, Friday night is, like, not a good TV night. It's, uh, I mean, I think that's why they changed, because it used to be back in the NBC days, it was Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then they changed it to Tuesday, Thursday, I think, to avoid that Friday. But, you know, whatever. I'll stick to basketball analysis, but I am curious why that is. Yeah, I'm curious too, especially because they deliberately went to they deliberately went for the other Thursdays, and then like, eh, you know, if it's Game Seven, we'll put it on the Friday, even though we've been avoiding those basically all playoffs like the plague. But it's going to be really interesting, and I think the the hope that I have is that it's just cleanly played, and of course, also obviously importantly is that it's healthy and well officiated. But you know, we can't really have any control over that. But as long as it hits all those things, I think I'll be satisfied with it, no matter what the outcome is. So here's here's one more question for you. Since you and I, of course, are two uh, people who have our finger on the pulse of the everyman NBA fan, I tweeted out this or retweeted this thing today that shows that in every state except for Florida, people are rooting for the Spurs to win this series. Does that surprise you? Not in the slightest. I think that I, I'm actually, well, I'm not surprised that Florida's rooting for the Heat, obviously. I think that we've reached a point, and I'm going to go econ nerd here, which is this concept of Pareto optimality, which is the idea that... Oh, yeah, as, even, as I even, said, finger on the pulse of the average NBA fan. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is the idea the idea that, and basically, unless you have a reason to root for the Heat, there are a lot of reasons to root for the Spurs. You know, they have the emotional thing, they lost 
a brutal series. There are all guys who are closer to the end of their careers, even if it's just the prominent guys and the other guys are young. And I think in some ways what helped them beyond how, you know, high profile their not failure, but their fall was last time is the reporting that has come out basically that, you know, Popovich and Duncan were considering riding off into the sunset if they won last year. And I think everybody not everybody, but almost everybody likes a good ending. And I think that while this wouldn't be an ending for the Spurs, and I have high hopes for their future even after those guys retire, whether that's this coming year or five years down the road, I think that you've seen it in a lot of other sports that the clear a clear ending for somebody who is maybe not beloved but popular is something that people really like it with John Elway in the NFL. You've seen it Michael Jordan, I think a lot of people thought that, though obviously it didn't end up being as final as you know. I feel like there's a really nice narrative there and if you're you want to think about sports as movies, I think that that's a way of doing it. And for the Heat, the way that you root for them mm-hmm. is if you really like LeBron and I think that that's that that's certainly a possibility, but I think that's that and just liking that brand of history are the biggest reasons to do it. It's interesting because it goes against the narratives that people you would think would have, right? The Spurs supposedly are boring. Granted, the NBA intelligentsia have turned against that, but I think that's still sort of the common perception among a lot of people is that the Spurs are boring. And then you've got, oh, the big superstar, right? That's who all the bandwagon fans jump onto. But maybe, and and certainly, you know, an analogous situation would be this is very kind of similar to the Jazz Bulls series, both in the fact that there's a rematch and that you've got this veteran execution-oriented team with a longtime coach against, like, the best player in the game who is theoretically everyone loves him, but maybe they don't. Maybe it, the decision still lingers and or people really just appreciate the way that the Spurs play and that's starting to get through people. So I, I think it's, it's rather remarkable that the normal stories that people think of what NBA fans think may be not necessarily true in this case. I really like that you, as a Chicago native, just compared your team to the Heat, considering what I'm sure that what I'm sure how that makes you feel. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is going to be a big one for the old uh, Jordan legacy protectors, which of course I would never be a part of because I'm entirely objective. But <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I'm I can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. That's for sure. Well, and the only other thing that I'll add in on that is there's a really interesting also dichotomy because those Utah teams, those guys hadn't won championships. So, you know, you get that sympathy of, oh, you like people winning once. You see that in a lot of sports. And that team still didn't get the support, whereas these Spurs guys that have plenty of championships, they're getting, they're getting the support. But as it is really interesting to see how that difference is. And I think, honestly, a lot of it goes on not only the decision, but the not two, not three, not four, you know, all that stuff. Because obviously that had a huge resonance in all of sports, not just in basketball. And I'm sure there are people that continue to hold that against not only LeBron, but the whole franchise. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, too. Is Anything else you want to talk about, about, you know, the actual basketball instead of these totally ancillary yet? very fun things to talk about. If this series goes to a seventh game, as we mentioned, it'll be on a Friday. What would you, assuming full health for each team, what would you put the odds at for the for the Spurs to, to win it? Just the single game home court with these two teams. Still the, the same 55-45 for the series. And I think part of that is because that's what I have. I mean, I, that's what I picked the series in. So I'm assuming that this, it's going to go seven and that the Spurs are going to win. And just and that's all based on the home court. Really, home court is the biggest reason why I'm giving the Spurs that 55-45 edge. Otherwise, it would be a total toss-up to me. I think that's totally fair. And if it goes there, I mean, you're, you when you talk about that, there would just be so much on the line for both teams just in terms of everything. And the other crazy thing is we t- talked a lot about how the Spurs are – going to look different in the very near future. Miami very well could too. You know, this could be the last run or close to the last run with their core as well. All right. I I got one more question for you. What is your crunch time lineup if you are Greg Popovich and if you are Eric Spolstra? Let's let's do Pop. Why don't you do Pop first? I'll do him and then we can. Okay. So we'll start with Pop. So Tony, Manu, Tim, 
to me are the are the non negotiable and Kawhi are the non negotiables. So you start with that, and unless the Miami has their their four guy is punishing him enough, I I still love Tiago Splitter. I think that his rebounding is there. I think that he's a really good player. What about you? So no Danny Green then, huh? Not in crunch time. I, I think that he's a really good player, but I, I think that you need two creators in the one and the two spots, and I think Kawhi is a non-negotiable. So then basically you're saying, do you want to play Kawhi at the four and Green at the three, or do you want to play Kawhi at the three and splitter? And I, I think that, to me, I think that in most situations, though obviously certain other ones can warrant the other way, I think that the play, my play would be splitter most of the time. Okay, well, so now let, let's say they go splitter, and I agree with you that it's the green splitter dichotomy is what you got to decide. So let's say Miami goes Chalmers, Allen, Wade, LeBron, and Bosch. What are your matchups now? Oh, that's interesting. Um, if you're going to well, keep splitter on the floor, and I mean, I mean oh, what about Dia too? So you would you wouldn't go Dia at the floor because he's been wonderful and he he did well against LeBron. And that's another that's another guy we got to consider too. Yeah, I'd consider him. I'd actually consider him above Danny Green. I honestly didn't think of him when we were first doing the question. And I, again, I think between those three guys now with Green's Green Splitter and Dia, you can do it situationally at least a little bit. But if you're handling that bigger Spurs line, or if you're that Spurs bigger lineup handling the Heat, God, it's really hard because part of me wants to, even though it doesn't make much sense to put Kawhi on Wade, just just because it could happen, but then your LeBron is just going to run wild on you. So I feel like if you're going to, it would be so much fun to see somebody, see somebody stash a guy on Chalmers, but I'm not sure that you can do that because you you have to keep splitter close to the rim and you can't leave Duncan on Island. You get into the situation that you and I saw when we were watching the game together with David West, just getting slaughtered by Ray Allen. Right. And you, you know, my position is if you are absolutely decide if you're Frank Vogel or Tom Thibodeau and you got it, you absolutely have to stay big at all times, then I think you actually, the guy that you put the big dude on is Wade, unless he's just killing you, he at least, you can help off of him at least a, a little bit. He's not going to make threes unless he starts getting inexplicably hot like he did at times in the Indiana series. And I mean, you would say, oh, it's so unconventional to have someone like Splitter guarding Wade. It's Dwayne Wade. Well, it's more unconventional to have your big man, the entire reason you're putting this big man on the floor is for his health responsibilities and his rebounding, and then you're going to negate that by having him guard Ray Allen because he's not as threatening off the dribble. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you're going to have a big man on the floor, you might as well put him on the dude that actually still gives him a chance of doing big man things away from the ball, and you know, if Wade's going to drive, then fine, you get... you. You help them, or, and or you just give up the mid-range jumper. But I, I think ultimately Pop is, if Miami goes with that lineup, he will either go with Dia at the four and put Dia on LeBron, and then have Kawhi on Wade. That is the, and then you have Mono at the two and and Tony Parker at the one. That has that sort of value added. We we talked about in the opening, and I guess you talked about it in an earlier segment where you want to jigger your matchup so that you're taking away the most from their collective. And maybe you do that by putting Kawhi on Wade because he can totally shut down Wade, whereas LeBron, nobody's really going to shut him down. So that's that would be one option. Or then you just go totally small, uh, which is what they did last year with Duncan at center and Kawhi at, at the four, and then Danny Green at the three, Mono at the two, and Tony Parker at the one. But that's going to be real interesting at the end to see if they go to that small lineup, what the Spurs want to do about it. Yeah, and you bring up an excellent point with, and I, I like to think about just in terms of how you how you defend him in terms of space with Wade, is that he's not a dangerous three-point shooter. So if you want to give him those shots, I, I think he'll take them a little bit too much. And I think that that's definitely there, and then that re, you retain a little bit of the help. I, I think that... You can't put a big on Ray Allen. It's just a disaster. So I think that you're right in terms of that being the case. And also, you know, the difference between putting him on Wade versus putting putting somebody like that on Chalmers is that Chalmers is fine hanging out on the periphery. You know, that's not a problem. But I feel like Wade will end up near the interior more often. And so then that gives your guy an excuse to be closer to the paint. 
So you're not losing that same thing. And it's definitely going to be interesting. And, and as you said, you know, it's the, the idea of surplus value. And Wade's dominance in this series will have so many cascading effects for that exact reason. Because if San Antonio needs to commit resources to making to stopping him, that changes the not only the way they defend, but also changes the personnel that they should have on the floor. Whereas if Wade is a little step down from that, I feel like the Spurs can play a little bit more to their own advantage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's going to be so much fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I mean, honestly, for me, it's really fun to watch it with a le- with less of a rooting interest. I mean, it's just going to, I'm just, it's just going to be good basketball, and that's that's really nice, and that's all you can ask for when you're deciding a champion of a sport. All right then. Okay. Take care. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, enjoyed it as usual. Thanks again to Nate Duncan for coming on. You can read him at Basketball Insiders, which is basketballinsiders.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at NateDuncanNBA. That's N-A-T-E-D-U-N-C-A-N-N-B-A. And finish off the five-guest preview is Shams Tranya of Real GM. He's lucky enough and jealous of him that he covered the Miami games in last year's finals, and he will get to cover all of the games, however long it lasts, this year in person. So I wanted to talk to him, and we actually go in a little bit of an introduction. We talk about the atmosphere of that because as somebody who hasn't experienced it in person, I wanted to get his insight. The conversation runs uh, about 20 minutes. I think it's 18, and uh, it was a lot of fun to have him on. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it, Danny. So we got the the rematch that I think a lot of us wanted, and it came in a little bit of an unexpected way just in terms of there being some weak points for both teams at various points. What are you thinking right now as we're looking just a couple days away from the finals? I think that for both teams, I think the main the main theme that really stood out was that both of them relatively came away unscathed. Uh, for everything that we heard about, you know, Dwayne Wade having knee issues going into the playoffs, a banged-up Spurs team throughout the regular season. Most of those guys came away unscathed, which obviously makes for a tremendous final. You know, it's it's so hard to even pick who's going to win it. And when, when you have a hard time, usually you go in each year. I think most people had the Heat winning last year, even though the Spurs nearly won it. So I think this year, you know, it's just so hard to, to pick a winner. And I think a lot of that has to do with both sides are going to be fully healthy, there isn't going to be any type of asterisk. Monty Ginobili's fully healthy. He, you know, he's he's been playing tremendous basketball. He's and I know just just talking to people around the Spurs when I covered them earlier in the season. You know, the health of Monty Ginobili last season compared to this year was, has been totally different. Last year he came in the playoffs, you know, nicked up here and there. This year he's been totally healthy. You have and then you have Dwayne Wade on the other end who went to all these knee issues sitting out all these games and he's he, he he's been spry he's been lively and when the need of heat is needed him most he's come come big time yeah it and it definitely i think keeps this series in that kind of positive realm because while obviously injuries can happen during the series that's a different kind of what if than the what if that we almost dealt with with Serge Ibaka you know the oh if they would have had him for the whole series did he do something like that and the thing that's been lingering with me is, and you covered last year's finals and you'll be there for this year's finals, going into it, how do you compare each of these teams to where they were last year? I know most people look at Miami, they're going to say, you know, oh, they're, they're, they're a lot worse this year. They don't have enough depth. They're lacking big men. Everyone, all the, you know, a lot of their veterans, Ray Allen, Shane Battier, Chris Anderson, they're all your, your younger, your older, I should say. But, you know, the bottom line is you have LeBron James, and he just keeps getting better and better. And I don't care if his numbers were down. It just seemed like whenever whenever he needed to pull out a, a, a big game, he he's always done it. He's so efficient now. It's unbelievable how efficient he is. I'd be surprised, actually, if he shoots less than 50%. That would be a win in itself for the Spurs. You know, I, I just think both teams are better. I, I definitely believe that. Kawhi Leonard has improved tremendously. I think he's – a real X factor. You know, you you look at all the players on the Spurs, the big three, you, you got, the hope is that all of them are going to produce like they have the entire career in big moments. But Kawhi Leonard is the guy who really shined last year in, in the final. He played LeBron absolutely, you know, one of the best defend, defenders I've seen on LeBron. You know, guys like Jimmy Butler, Luol Deng, in years past have, have really given, him, given LeBron a good, solid run. But, Kawhi Leonard just has the length, he has the build, and I think he has the 
you know, he has the offensive tools to really get back at LeBron on the other end of the court. And I think that's the biggest thing. You've got to make LeBron work. And I think Kawhi Leonard is the real X factor. If he can just keep building on what he's done this season. And I mean, last year, you look back in the finals, he had, he had a couple 20 and 10 games. I think, I think the sky's the limit for him. And I think if he has a big series and just improves on that, I think that just gives the Spurs another leg up. And his rebounding from when he plays small forward, which he usually does, is such a huge thing for the Spurs because it allows them to do some different things with their big man positions. Obviously, if they're playing Duncan and Splitter, they're going to have good rebounding anyway, but that's a really huge benefit for them. The other thing that's interesting, and as somebody who covered it, it would be interesting to get your insight on it, is the change in the format. Last year's finals was 2-3-2. This year's finals is 2-2-1-1-1. Do you think that's going to have any sort of effect, or do you think that the elongated schedule of the finals does more of the work on that anyway? It's hard because I thought last – I've always thought that the home team, the team with home court advantage always has an edge in that 2-3-2 format. Just, I think last year really showed. I mean, you have those last two games at home. That's just big. I think the 2-2-1-1-1 is – you know, it's something that's been used, obviously, in every other round. So I think, I think LeBron said it best. I mean, it's basketball. You know, you just got to win. You just got to go out and win, no matter the format. And I think most of these guys are really used to it. But I thought last year the two-three-two really. I mean, it, it was hard. It's, it's hard to argue that it didn't. You know, it favored Miami. They had those last two games at home. Um, I know a lot of those players thought that that was one of the edge edges for them to come away with that. Finals victory. So I think the two-two-one-one-one format favors the team with home court advantage, and I think you know both series favors the team with home court advantage. But I think obviously that's 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 obvious. But I think the road team really has an edge, and I think for for Miami it really doesn't matter if they have home court advantage or not. They've proven that throughout the years. You know, just even going back to that series against the Bulls in 2011, they didn't have home court advantage. They lost the first game and they came back and won four straight. And then the conference finals this year. They lose the first game, but and then win three out of the next four, and then win that last one. So I think you know Miami can win wherever, and I think for them, they don't need home court advantage. They've proven that over and over. It's been fun as I've been doing the interviews that all comprise this podcast. I've been talking with people about the guys that they think will be the the main impact players of the series, and we'll exclude LeBron because I think that's a little bit too obvious. Who stands out to you as somebody on either team that will? that could make the difference in this series? I would say just Tony Parker, just based off of everything we know right now, I don't know if you can exclude include him or not. Um, he's, he's obviously an all-star. He's probably one of the best point guards in the playoffs the year in and year out. I don't care how many people look look past him in the regular season. He's just, I mean, he always comes through in the playoffs, and it seems like he always elevates his game, and he just slices through his defenses left and right no matter what the matchups are. And I think going in, it's always it's always something with him. You know, last year was the hamstring, and I thought that really derailed the Spurs. This year's the ankle. You know, he he's gonna gut it out and play, but the question is, at what percentage is he gonna be? Last year he had the hamstring injury. I believe he suffered it in game two or game three, but that really that crushed the Spurs. Uh, that crushed him. He was he was on his way to possibly putting his name in the Finals MVP race. Um, I thought if the Spurs would have won that series, I thought he probably would have won it. Although Tim Duncan's a big game six, you know, it's hard to look past that. So I just think the health of Tony Parker and his play and how well he can play. I just remember being in Miami for that game one. He just, just the way he demoralized the Heat time and time again, just getting to the paint. I think that's that's huge. I mean, you have a six-two, six-three point guard just coming in and absolutely dominating your team. I think the health of Tony Parker and I think his production is definitely going to be the X factor. Um, if San Antonio, you know, you have a healthy Tony Parker and I think the edge has to go to San Antonio, but the question is his health. And he's proven that there's always something that nicks him up late, late in the season. I think this year, obviously, it's the ankle. If you were the Heat, you've watched a lot of them, obviously. Would you feel comfortable putting Norris Cole on Parker for any extended period of time? Honestly, I, de- I definitely would. Um, and I, I definitely expect Miami to go to that matchup. Last year, you know, just talking to a lot of the Heat, I thought that would be a matchup they'd go through more. But Mario Chalmers played well in the, in the finals. He had he had a game where they where he completely saved them. So I, th- I think it all depends on on the production of Mario Chalmers. You have if you have a Mario Chalmers, Chalmers hitting jumpers, playing Tony Parker neck and neck on defense, it's going to be hard to go to the Norris Cole matchup because Norris Cole isn't as good of a floor spacer as Mario. 
but I think, you know, if, you, if all is equal, I think Norris Cole definitely is a matchup Miami would go to. So, and then, and then you can't look past Tony Douglas as well. I think, I definitely think, you know, foul trouble comes in. I definitely think they would give Tony Douglas a look. But yeah, I mean, Miami has so many players that they can throw at Tony Parker and, and Norris Cole is one of those unbraided defenders. Um, I, I definitely think that, that he's a matcher that could give Tony trouble. He's obviously given – he gave he completely locked up George Hill in the, in the conference finals. Um, so I, I definitely think that's a matcher they can go to. Yeah, and what I was thinking about with the Heat is you've talked about how they have all these different athletes. Is Who would you put weight on most of the time if you were Spolstra? I, I've been having trouble with that because obviously he's looking better, but I feel – obviously I think you can't put him on Parker. I think that's just too tough. But Manu's a really hard matchup for Wade as well. Yeah, and the part that was interesting last year, I felt a lot of the time Dwayne Wade was guarding Kawhi, and that's where Kawhi got a lot of his little easy putbacks, was able to get open a few times when 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 D Wade would try to leak out in the, in the passing lanes. But I, I think that's honestly, I think that they've done that a lot. You know, they've put him on guys like Paul George in, in the conference finals. So I, I think that the, you know. For for Dwayne Wade, you know, size doesn't really matter. I think Miami has shown that they'll put him on whatever, you know, whatever position, you know, one through, you know, about three. So I think I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they put him on a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Guarding Tony Parker is, is a task that I don't think Eric Spolster would look toward Dwayne Wade for. But, you know, Manu, Kawhi, I think those are all fair game. He spent a lot of time on Danny Green last year. So I, I definitely think – one through three, I think any matchup is possible for him. I, I, but I don't see him spending a, a lot, if any, time on Tony Parker. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting you brought up the putting weight on Kawhi. I think that could end up being one of the big pivot points of this series. I was wondering, because obviously I didn't get to be there uh, last time you were in Miami for those games. From what you've experienced, is there any difference in a finals crowd versus the rest of the season? I know people talk a lot about with the Super Bowl that the crowd is very different, but is the finals, is it pretty representative of the rest of the season from what you've seen? I certainly say there's there's a regular season crowd and then a postseason crowd, and I definitely put in the postseason crowd. You know, a postseason crowd, obviously there's a lot more people in the building. There are different types of promotions. There are towels, you know, there are shirts, you know, given outside. I think a postseason crowd is definitely a lot more lively. It seems a lot more loud. Obviously, that's that's what occurs when there's more people in the building. But I think um, I definitely I've definitely found it to be a lot more a lot more exuberant. The crowds. I know just covering the conference finals. Indiana is one of the best arenas I feel in the league. Obviously, I've been to all the arenas, but. Just even talking to other beat writers, other even players, it seems like you know Indiana's a crowd that a lot of people enjoy. So I, I definitely think there's a postseason crowd, a regular season crowd. I think the finals is just another level up on on all that. That's good to hear. I'm trying to think about just you know where the series is going to go. I, I've had a lot of trouble predicting it myself. Do you have a prediction yet in terms of what you think is going to happen for the series? You know, as I said earlier, man, it's just so hard picking. I, I've gone back and forth. You know, you look at the revenge factor. And, you know, last year I, I was there in Miami. I wasn't able to go go to San Antonio, but I was there in Miami. And that game six, man, they they had it the whole way. San Antonio did. I mean, three-fourths of the game, you're thinking, you know, Tim Duncan's going off. San Antonio is just completely rolling. And then even even when Kawhi Leonard misses a free throw late in the game, makes one out of two, Manu makes one out of two, they're still up five with, what, 28 seconds left. I mean, that's just one of the biggest collapses, and it's got to be one of the biggest collapses in finals history, if not the biggest. And it's just something that, you know, as, you know, as, as a fan, as someone in the media, it's just still something that it's just hard to digest. It's still hard to get over, and I just can't imagine how it is for the players. You know, getting past that game six loss, and then even in game seven, Tim Duncan has a funny shot that he makes nine out of ten times, and he misses it over a smaller Shane Battier. So I, I think San Antonio has just should have a lot more of a chip, and I think that's what a lot a lot of people are predicting you know San Antonio to win. Um, but then when I look at it, you know it's hard to pick against LeBron, and if Dwayne Wade is right, I truly believe he's the second best player in the series. So you have the top two players in the series. I've gone back and forth. I've landed on Miami in six. So how about you? What do you have? I actually have the same thing as you. I have Miami in six. I it, It's one of those things where 
a lot of times I, I just for selfish reasons, if I don't have another rooting interest, I root for my prediction. But in this case, I'm not. You know, I'm I, I would be happy to be wrong because emotionally I would be very happy for the Spurs to win. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in basketball often works down to the best player if the supporting exactly. cats are both good. And and the other thing is that both these teams are extremely well coached. Both these teams have a lot of players who do the right thing at the right time. So then, to me, it boils down to how many people are in the series that can win a game or win a pivotal quarter. And I feel like even if Wade isn't what he was, I feel like he can swing a couple of quarters, and maybe maybe those are multiple in the same game. And LeBron can do that a lot. You know, I, I love Kawhi. I think Kawhi is a wonderful player. I think he can do a lot. But I don't see those guys on the Spurs. And while I think the Spurs are a better team, and it makes me feel crazy in my brain to say, why am I picking the team that I don't think is the better team? But I think when they're this close, that isn't necessarily the right criteria. And it's going to be really hard to do that. But at the same point, I don't care as long as it's clean and as long as it's well played and it's not ruined by bad officiating. You know, a lot of times, you know, you like to be right and, and all that, but as long as it's clean, as long as it's well officiated, and as long as it's not marred by injury, I'm going to be happy no matter what happens because we're going to get some great and I would say for the scope of basketball, historically important basketball as well. Yeah, I mean, the larger the series goes, you know, the further it goes, the better. I just think, you know, as you said, you know, you have the, you have, it, it all boils down to stars, I feel like, especially in the playoffs. You know, like you said, you have two well, well matched coaches. You have a team filled with good supporting cast, and I just think it comes down to, you know, in some games I think it will come down to which supporting cast steps up. You know, a guy like Danny Green, he's a sniper at home, and then on the road something just happens. And you know, you you, you hear the cliche, role players are always better at home, and I think Danny Green is a prime example of that. He shoots the lights out at home, and then when when it comes on the road, he just gets hesitant. Seems like he's pump faking a lot. I think they need to put, need him to put, you know produce like he does at home. He can't scare away from the shot from shots. He has to play consistently. Last year he was unbelievable through the first four or five games, and then he just completely tailed off. So I I, I think you know supporting cast are going to decide some of these games, but I think in the end, like you said, I think it'll come down to stars. And I'll go back to I mean, if Dwayne Wade is healthy, if if his knee's not giving him issues, I I truly believe he's the second best player in the league. And you have LeBron, the first best player in the league. You have Dwayne Wade, and probably either Tim Duncan or Tony Parker. So I, I think star power always it always comes out to star power. And I think Miami's the type of team where home court honestly does not matter. A lot of those guys relish playing on the road. Um, they're proving time and time again that they can steal home court advantage one of the first two games and. And everyone says, you know, some games are pivotal. You know, some games are must-wins. You know, if San Antonio takes the first two, that's obviously huge for them. But if Miami steals one, which I predict they will, I have to go with my prediction, you know, Miami and six. But I'm I'm, I'm with you, man. I think the longer the series goes, the better, I think, for, for all basketball fans. And these two teams proved the last year. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. It was great to have you on. Sounds good, Danny. I appreciate it. Have fun covering it. Yep, thank you. Thanks again to Shams Tranya for taking the time to come on. You can read him at realgm.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Shams Tranya. That's S-H-A-M-S-C-H-A-R-A-N-I-A. Thanks again to Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders and everybody who was on the part one of it. It was a lot of fun to do. It has been a really exciting time for this podcast. I actually recorded two different full versions of the Eliminated over the weekend for the Cavs and for the Sixers. Those will be coming out later this week. The finals preview took priority in terms of editing, so I wanted to get that out first, but the other ones will be coming soon. And I really appreciate all of you who submitted suggestions for some of the other teams, and I'm looking to do the Bucks and the Magic in the next couple weeks, and I already have some people lined up for some other teams. So it's going to be a pretty much a headlong sprint until the draft, and then I'm going to try to hit a couple, ideally, between the draft and when free agency starts, and then once that starts, it's going to be mostly about what actually happens as opposed to previewing it. But it's been a lot of fun, and as much fun as it is to talk about the offseason and how much as much fun as it is to preview the finals, I'm really excited just as somebody who loves basketball to watch it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and as I said in these, 
I predicted Heat in six, which is unusual, and I'm not saying it for shock value. It's what I think it's going to happen. But I'm totally fine with my prediction being wrong. I think it's just going to be great basketball. I hope that it's clean. I hope that it's well played. I hope that it's well officiated. And as long as we hit that, I'm going to be happy with it. It's going to be just a blast and some good basketball, some great teams, and for those of you who like the storylines of it, you have incredible storylines either way. So thank you so much for listening. If you want, you can email me at daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, dot LaRue at realgm.com, or you can also hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, that's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I promise I will read it. I will almost always respond as well. I like to have those conversations. So thanks, take care, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.